How's my financial health, Doc? Welcome to the Financial Literacy Podcast for healthcare professionals, where financial security and wealth topics are not a taboo. Welcome back, my friends. Today, in this podcast, is going to be a little bit different. I'm actually on the uh, passenger seat today, and the driver's seat is a good friend of mine, Dr. Dmitry Ranev. And what we'll be talking today is about a pension plan, and it's going to be the Canadian Physicians Pension Plan. And so a quick disclaimer and disclosure here I am the president of the Canadian Physicians Pension Plan. Some of you already knew that and knows that I have co-founded the Canadian Physicians Pension Plan with a pension lawyer. His name is Mr. J.P. Laporte, who uh, has also been a guest of mine on many episodes. And so today I'm going to be talking about the pension plan that we have created for all Canadian physicians in Canada. In fact, the pension plan is for every single professional who is incorporated, and this also include nurse practitioners. So I want the audience to know that this is the disclosure, and that if you are not interested in hearing about this because I am the president of this particular pension plan, then I would encourage you to stop this episode and follow me and listen to me at my next episode. But if you are interested in hearing about the first Canadian pension plan for physicians and healthcare professionals, excluding the nurses because they already have their own pension plan. If you want to hear about the first one ever in Canada, then please listen on. And again, welcome to the show and I will be in the passenger seat while Dimitri will be asking all the pertinent questions. I hope you enjoy the episode. Really happy to have a very special guest today, uh, Dr. Vukia Tran. I've spoken to Vu many times in the past. I've interviewed him and we've talking, talked about many different topics because Vu knows many different things. We've talked about family medicine, emergency medicine, long-term care, metaphysics at some point. We talked about that. But today, uh, Vu will talk about pensions. And uh, one of the reasons I'm having Vu over is because he's actually the president of the Canadian Physician Pension Plan. So he knows very much, very well about pensions. But the question is, why do we talk about pensions? And I, I want to start off with this study that I looked into. Um, it was done in the United States, United Kingdom, Canada, and Australia between 1978 and 2015. And they were looking at the retirement practices of physicians. And what they found, and actually they looked at, it was a systematic review, it was a 65 studies, and they found a trend that Physicians in general would retire much later than, you know, the classic age of 65. And by much later, I mean, we're talking about 70, 72. I think the mean was about 70. And when they looked at reasons why, now there was many reasons. Obviously, in some, some cases, there was a concern for their patients. Um, in some cases, they had nothing else to do. There was actually something that they found, a lack of interest outside of medicine. But a big chunk of the issue was they had financial obligations. 
which means that they couldn't retire because they would run out of money. In fact, I think, Vu, you, just before we started, you talked about this physician you were auditing who told you that. He said, you asked him, what, I think he was 72, correct? Correct. Yeah. Uh, why aren't you retired? And he told you, if I, if I retire, I'll be out of money in two years. And this story is a lot more common than we think. I've certainly heard it myself. I've had, I've had I heard stories of physicians who should not be working anymore because of health issues, but they can't stop. And I think one of the solutions to this problem is pensions. Maybe not the only solution, but certainly one of them, the problem of retirement for physicians. So that's something I want to talk about. So Vu, can you perhaps, can you start off by saying a bit about your economics background? Because obviously you have quite a bit of background in economics, given that you're dealing with the pension plan. And then we'll talk about pensions in general. Perfect. So uh, thank you, Dimitri, for having me back. Uh, it's it's very nice of you uh, for inviting me back. Um, and I and you know talking about finances and pensions is like one of my dream. Um, I told my I told my children one day, this is two years ago. I said by 2025, I want to be known as the Tony Robbins of of finance for you know the healthcare industry because I feel really strongly that uh, as physicians in the healthcare industry, and not just physicians, doctors, dentists, um, you know, nurse, nurse practitioners, we should be well-versed in this. And we're not ever trained in this, so we should be. So how did I learn all this? You know, to be honest, I learned all this because I've made every single mistake known under the sun. Um, and I'm not, I'm not shy about telling my mistakes. I, it's in my podcast. <laughs> if you listen, I've made so many mistakes. It's, it's, it's so funny. Um, so that's where my, uh, my economics degree come from. You know, as Dr. Wing Lim said, I went to the school of hard knocks and uh, that's how I learned it. But you know what, in the last, I would say last seven years, I spend a lot of time reading about finances. In fact, I, I read more about finances than I read the New England Maybe my patients will suffer for it. I don't know. Um, but that's where I learned it. And you know what? In, in addition to that, I had my MBA. So I, I had a solid background in, in doing this. And in terms of the pension, it really started by me wondering, you know, um, you, Dimitri, me, doctors, we are uh, employees of the state, essentially, right? I get paid by OHIP. You get paid by La RAMQ. Um, everyone in every province get paid by their provincial ministry. We work for the government, but we are the only employee of the government that doesn't get a pension. So when you look at nurses, they have a pension. When you look at municipal workers, they have a pension. Fire, police, they have a pension. We work for the government. We have a single payer. They dictate how much we make, but yet we don't have a pension. And I looked at that and I was like, there has to be something wrong. Something has, someone has to do something about it. And unfortunately, no one did anything about it, right? Not the CMA, not the OMA, not MD management. Nobody did anything about it. So I decided I'm going to take this into my own hands and did something about it. So what I did was I uh, partnered up with a, with a pension lawyer and started understanding pensions, you know, and, and pensions in general, uh, that's when I started looking at individual pensions and what I call multi-employer pensions, which we'll talk about in a minute. So the interest in pensions was really because out of selfishness, really, is how come me, Vuketran, physician employee of the state, how come Dimitri, you employee of the state, how come all our colleagues employee of the state have no 
security, no security blanket. And you said something that I think resonates with me a lot is it's not the answer to everything, but you know what? It's a major piece of the answer. Here's, here's what someone told me. When you don't have anything, you try to hit home runs and you risk everything. But when you have a security blanket and you know you have something stable, you don't have to hit home runs. You can hit first base and you can hit second base and you'll be fine because you know you have a security blanket. But when you don't have that security, then you're always trying to hit home runs. But when you're trying to hit home runs, you're putting out more risk. You're trying to take on more risk, more risk than you absolutely need. And so having that pension is actually crucial, crucial to our prevention and fight against burnout. Yeah, and then the, you know, you know, uh, maybe we can we can go back to what you're saying. That what are some of the options? Because pension is a big one of the big pieces of retirement. What are some of the other options in terms of retirement for physicians, and why are they not necessarily all a good option? You know, there are many options. I mean, one of the options is uh, stuffing money inside your mattress, right? <laughs> We've we've right. done that. We've done that I've for done millennia. It. Yeah, we've yeah. done that for millennia. Uh, and it works. It works. Unfortunately, you know, inflation erodes our money. And then if your house caught on fire, then that burns the whole thing down. So, okay, it's a good trick, but not, not a very good trick. Uh, and then you have, you know, non-registered investment accounts. Well, those are good too, uh, because they're flexible. You can use whenever you want. You can take out whenever you want, but you're taxed along the way for the capital gains and the dividends, right? So it's not very tax efficient, but it's one retirement tool. And then you've got your re registered accounts, right? So you've got your RRSP, which is your registered retirement savings plan, which is a great plan, great plan. Unfortunately, and it's not a good plan for high income earners. And finally, I think don't people don't think about these last two ones, uh, investment real estate. Okay. So real estate, it's amazing retirement option uh, and an amazing assets for most Canadians. And finally, one more asset that I'm going to talk about just very briefly and mention it, but I know it's very controversial. I know it's very controversial. And I'm probably one of the few people who thinks this way is whole life insurance. Amazing, amazing asset serving for retirement purposes. So there are many, many options out there. You know, not one option fits everybody and not everybody likes every option, but definitely there. And pension is the last one. So that pension is another good retirement option. Those are the those are the options that we have on the table. Right. So so not too many, but at least there, there's some options out there. And, and yeah, I know the whole whole life insurance is a big, it's a big issue, big controversy. So we won't talk about it today. How about that? We'll talk about it another day. You know, we we've we've all heard about RSPs, TFSAs. We we know how those work. Can you give me an idea of and I know this is a huge question because there's different types of pension plans, but in general, what's a pension plan? What does it have to do? And why is it something that's that's powerful for physicians or other people who are self-employed? A, a great question. Here's the issue. Uh, in Canada, unlike the U.S., our neighbors, um, our biggest financial problem when it comes to high-income earners is the tax grind. 
So when you talk about people who are high income earners, so yourself, myself, ophthalmologists, cardiologists, cardiovascular surgeons, etc., the problem that we have is not earning an income. In fact, we earn a really, really good income. What's really, really detrimental is the high taxes that we pay. And so the, the number one wealth destroyer for high income earners in Canada is in fact taxation. And so the many tools that will allow you to shelter your money from taxes, and that it's not, I'm not talking about avoiding taxes. No, that would be illegal. I'm talking about sheltering and, uh, and deferring tax is primary residence. When, when, when we have a primary residence and we sell it, the capital gains on the primary residence is tax exempt, right? So that's a really good uh, tax shelter. The RRSP is another one, which is tax deferred, not tax free. The TFSA is in fact tax free. Uh, the pension is tax deferred, very similar to the RRSP. So I'm going to say it right now. The pension is a RRSP on steroids. That's how I see it. Okay. And finally, whole life insurance, which we don't want to talk about too much today, but whole life insurance is in fact tax free even better than RRSP and even better than pensions, but they all work together. Now in Canada, 98% of us use RRSPs. You know, there's such a thing as RRSP season. Did you buy your RRSP yet? We have a date deadline, February 28. All the banks want you to rush in Sign on that dotted line, buy those mutual funds because you need to contribute to your RSP. So as Canadians, we've been drinking the RRSP Kool-Aid for the last 40 years. While it's, a, while it's a good product, it's a good product for middle income, mid income earners. It's not a good product for high income earners, but it is one of those retirement plans. So the RSP does have advantages, but it also have disadvantages. What are the you know uh, major advantages of the RRSP? Well, the RSP in the year that we contribute actually reduces your taxable uh, income, which is great. So this year, if I, for example, put uh, twenty nine thousand three hundred, that's the RSP cap for this year. If I put twenty nine thousand three hundred in my RSP account. I can deduct 29300 from my personal income tax. Therefore, I pay less taxes. The amount that I put in this beautiful registered account grows compounding. So let's say I put it in a you know, S&P 500 ETF and it makes me 10% uh, as an example. Okay, So I put that in there and it grows at 10% year after year after year. As long as it sits inside this RRSP account, I don't have to pay tax on that growth, which is amazing. I can withdraw money from my RSP to fund the down payment on my first home, which is called the home buyer's plan. I can use up to 20,000 of my RSP to go back to school for life long learning plan. So if I wanted to do another master's, I wanted to do an MBA, I want to take an art class because I want to advance my, you know, whatever it is that I need to do in medicine, I can use 20,000 of my RSP money tax-free. Uh, and there is no withholding tax on US dividends within an RSP. So there are good advantages. The question is, 
what are the disadvantages? Well, there are many, actually many, many. So RRSP withdrawals are heavily taxed. They are taxed at, as ordinary income. The RSP contribution limit, how much you can put in there, is based on 18% of your last year's salary, but it has a cap, the cap of 20300 29,300. Now, for some of us who are high, high income earners, for example, cardiologists, dermatologists, ophthalmologists, 29,300 is really not enough. I cannot income split. If I decide to withdraw the RSP uh, at age 65, I can income split with my spouse if I'm over 65. But if I'm not over 65, I cannot income tax, income split. So all the income that I take will be fully taxed under my name. I cannot reduce the taxable income with the portfolio management fees. So I let's say some of us do DIY, fair enough. Uh, but even in the DIY, there are some fees. I cannot write off those fees. Some of us are not DIY people. Some of us actually use financial advisors, investment advisors, and I, and I pay them 1%, for example. Well, that 1% represents a fee of 10,000 if I have a portfolio of 1 million. Well, I cannot write off the 10,000. It's gone. That fee is paid and it's gone. And here's another one which relates to the pension is I cannot make special payments when the market is sold at a discount. So June 2022, the market dropped by 12%. Inside a pension, I could put in more money. But in an RSP, once I've maxed out my 29300 I know the market dropped by 10 15%. I can't put on more money. I, I can't do anything. I'm stuck, right? Um, in an RSP, I must close up the account at age 71, which is now called the RIF, uh, Registered Retirement Income Fund. So I now have to take out. I'm being made to do so. The RSP will impact other federal benefits. So for us, for example... There is no more old age security. We can't take that anymore. Um, and so we'll, we'll lose all of that. The RSP has a deemed disposition at time of death. What does that mean? Well, I have an RSP account. Let's just say that by the time I retire, it, it's worth $4 million, Okay, It's not a ridiculous number. Actually, some of us may actually reach the $4 million. So I've got $4 million. I'm about to take it out. And the day after I died. Right. And I, I do not enjoy my four million. Well, I after my passing, if my wife, if my spouse is still alive, then the money rolls over to my spouse and my spouse gets it tax free. But if my spouse passes away, then the money and the account is deemed disposed, meaning the government says you have disposed everything at fair market value. It's deemed to have sold everything, which is the four million dollars in asset at fair market value the day after my death. Now, if me and my wife are driving down to Florida and we get hit by a Mack truck, both of us die on the same day, it's deemed disposed on the same day, right? It, there's no rollover to my spouse. So my children will get the money, but they have to pay the deemed disposition uh, fee first, which is everything is sold at fair market value, if it's $4 million, everything is sold at $4 million, I guarantee you the taxes will be 50% or more, which means out of that $4 million, my children only get two, right? So that's the deemed disposition. And based on that explanation, it is very hard to do intergenerational wealth transfer because I cannot transfer $4 million. I can only transfer the $2 million 
after the deemed disposition. So the RSP is tax efficient, but not very tax efficient for the high income earners. It is not well designed for low income and is not well designed for high income. It is well designed for middle income. So if it's not designed for us, what is the next solution, I ask you? So, so you know, it's it's important to to reiterate that none of this is really explained to people uh, when you're <laughs> when they're talking about RSPs. You don't necessarily see that there's some big disadvantages because they are being sold as everybody should get one, right? Everybody should have an RSP in Canada, but you can really correct that not everybody should because this is this is a big deal. Fifty percent death tax is a lot. But not only that, I, I think what you said about, about the fact that when the market goes down, you can't make up the difference in your RSP, but you can in a pension. That, that's, a, that's a thing that people, most people don't understand. And, and I'm glad that you mentioned it. The last thing I, I want to clarify with you, Vu, before we move on to the, what, what the solution is, is when, we, when you talk about the, the ability to do a lifelong learning plan for the RSP, do you have to pay that back, like the home buyers, or do you? I was always curious. Like, do you have to pay back the twenty thousand eventually, put it back into the RSP? Do you know? Yes, you do. Okay, very so similar do. to the home right. buyers. Okay. Yeah. So people don't forget about that. But again, thank you for talking about these advantages because they're there and people don't know about them. And I certainly didn't know about a lot of these, especially the taxes you get at death. Um, so sure. So the RSP may not be the best solution for us. So let's talk about pensions because they are a better solution. And maybe, Vu, you can tell me how pensions differ compared to the RSPs and how they're, for us, for most of us, not all of us, they may be better. Okay. So let me start by saying this. And I think people, I think this encapsulates into one sentence, okay? I'll, I'll, I'll drive into the detail, but this is the sentence that encapsulates everything. A pension plan is a RRSP on steroids, okay? So let's start with that. So where, what, where is the difference? The difference is the RRSP sits inside section 146 of the Income Tax Act. There are certain rules and regulations and terms that are inside section 146. However, for the pensions, whether you're talking about individual pension plans, IPP, personal pension plan, PPP, MEPP, multi-employer pension plan. So those are the teacher's pension plan, the Canadian Army, HOOP, OMERS, all those sit inside section 147.1 of the Income Tax Act. And why do I make this two, these two distinctions? Because the two different sections describe very different terms very different regulations, very different restrictions, okay? And so when you look at the section 146 that governs RRSP, they are much more restrictive than section 147.1. So that's where the premise of the law starts, okay? So now let's talk about the pensions itself. Why are pensions so much better? 
because they are on steroids. The one thing about pensions versus RRSP. So now let's remember, RRSP is calculated based on 18% of last year's salary. Pensions are not based on that. Pensions are based on revenue moving forward, whereas RRSP is based on revenue from past years, which means if I'm going to be, you know, as I'm starting my career and I'm going to be making more and more money, well, my pensions is calculated towards my future. Therefore, I could put more money. And so whereas the RRSP is 18% and has a cap of 29300 when I use the formula to calculate a pension, and I'm, I want to make sure that we talk about apples to apples, where I'm talking about defined benefit pensions. So there are some things that are called defined contribution. There are pensions that are called defined benefit. I'm now talking about defined benefit. What does that mean? Well, defined contribution is I have a contribution and it's defined. It's 30,000. So you're always going to put 30,000. And every year you're going to put 30,000. And that, that amount is defined. But what I get at the end, I have no clue. It really depends on the market. It goes up and down. So an RRSP is a defined contribution type of retirement plan. Because I know I can put 29300 I put it this year and I put it next year. What happens in 30 years, I have no clue. Because if the market drops from us 50%, then I don't know what I'm going to get. So that's the defined contribution. So if I'm going to get a pension, I don't really want a defined contribution. I want a defined benefit, which is what the nurses, the teachers, the Canadian Army, who, that's what they have. So I'm going to put an X amount of money today. I'm going to tell you how we calculate that X amount of money. But in 30 years, when Vu will retire at age 65, well, Vu will get, uh, example, $10,000 a month. Okay, that's what Vu is going to get. That's the defined benefit. Vu already knows that if he put X amount today, that at age 65, when Vu retires, he's going to get 10000 a month. And that's the defined benefit. So good pension plans are defined benefit pension plans. So how are those calculated? Well, now I have to say, okay, Vu is uh, 30 years old. He wants to retire at 65. So it's 35 years of work. In those 35 years of work, based on Vu's T4 income now, based on his income in the past, based on his future income, based on the 2% rule, I plug this into a formula, a calculator. And that calculating that formula is calculated by very, very smart people that we call actuaries. <laughs> okay, so there's an actuarial calculation by very smart people that says, yes, when Vu does this at age 65, when he starts withdrawing, that he will get $10,000 a month. So if we work the math backwards, assuming that the market will produce an average of 5% year after year compounded, okay? There's a lot of assumptions here, right? So assuming that and assuming that VU will work 35 years, today's money, by the way, they calculate the time value of money as well. I'm throwing a lot of wording here. These are a lot of financial wording. So Based on the time value of money, based on the 35 years, today, Vu needs to put 
30,000 a month, uh, 30,000 a year, let's say. And again, I'm just throwing examples out there just so that we have some numbers to talk about. So what that means is if Vu put 30,000 this year, every year for the next 35 years, and the market gives us an average return of 5%, when Vu retires at age 65, Vu will get $10,000 a month until Vu dies. And Vu can die at 71, therefore there will be a surplus, but Vu can die at 105. Well, we need to make sure the money lasts until he's 105, right? So all those actual calculation is based on Vu, age, sex, life expectancy of a man, et cetera, et cetera. That's why it's an actual calculation. And so based on that, we can now say Vu can put X amount. Typically speaking, typically speaking, that amount every year is higher than the RSP limit. When VU does that, VU puts more money every year than an RSP amount. And remember, VU's salary doesn't stay stagnant. VU's salary continue to grow. So in three years, the actual sit down again and say, hey, VU, your salary grew, uh, your, the liability now grew. And by the way, the market didn't do 5%, the market did 3%. And so now we have to recalculate everything. And then in three years, Vu, you're not putting 30,000, but you now have to put 37,000. Woohoo! Yeah, why not? So I'm going to put 37,000 and I get a 37,000 tax write off, right? So every three years, there's an actuary calculation. Whereas in RSP, you don't get that. The government says you max out at 29,300. Next year, it'll be 30,000. And the year after that, it'll be 30,500. Whatever the government tells us, there's actually no actuary calculation because it's a defined contribution model. Whereas in a pension, it's a defined benefit. So I know exactly how much I'm going to get, but that needs to be refreshed every three years, which makes sense. Yeah, so so interesting. So for the RSP, really, uh, you, you hope and pray in a way that in 30 years you do well enough, but it's very hard to plan because you have no idea where in the market you're going to be. But with the defined benefit, that's interesting. I'm glad that you explained the difference because it always, I was confused between the two, but you made it very clear. If I benefit, you know exactly how much you'll get once you retire. So it's easier to plan. And you know that because every three years, a very smart person, actuaries are very smart people, <laughs> extremely smart people. An actuary will go through and make sure that, that that amount that you've calculated happens once you retire. So it's a lot more secure in a way than an RSP. Absolutely. So when we talk about security, like there is no better security than a pension because it's really refreshed every three years. And on top of that, it's based on your income. So it goes up, it goes down, it really based on that. And it's a defined benefit. We need to give Vu 10,000 every month. We need to. So if I need to do that, how do I make the math work? How much more do I have to contribute? Uh, what type of investment do I need to put Vu into to reach those goals, right? And those, those returns are never far-fetched like 20%. Like you never hear the Ontario Teachers Pension Plan aiming for 20%, right? What do they aim for? They aim for 8%, right? right. So it's, they're, not, they're not risking the, the barn. Like they're not risking the barn. Like they're doing regular average run-of-the-mill stuff because they got smart people calculating things every year. They calculate to make sure they're on the right path. Now, how much more security do you need? 
Like with an RSP, I put my money, I have no clue what's going to happen. But with a defined benefit, I know exactly what's going to happen. Even that level of security is, is, is precious. Like I say to people, it's not how much money you make. It's what is your sleeping point? Can you sleep at night? Right. Yeah. So even again, even if the market's doing badly, you just add more money that year to your pension plan. And you can do that tax-free as opposed to, as you said, the RSP, you can. The money you've put in, that's all the money you can do without, without having any, you know, any issues. So, and and that's, that's extremely, extremely powerful, I think. Um, the other thing I, I think that's important for people to understand is why do doctors have access to pension plans? Ah. I think that's an important point to, to talk yes. about. Yes. So I just raised the major issues with the RSP versus the pension. I'm just going to finish my explanation with the difference and then we'll go as to why we can do that. Right. Okay. So in RRSPs, I can buy equities. I can buy ETF, index funds, mutual funds, REITs, stocks, and that's about it. I can't buy anything else that the section 146 of the income tax act tells me what is RRSP eligible and what is not the pension. Oh my God, you just blew the door open. So I can now buy real estate. Imagine that I can invest in real estate. I can buy a private company. So if I go to, if I go to the 407 ETR, which is in Ontario, it's a, it's a pay toll. Right. And I say, I want to buy, a portion of your shares of your company. And I go in with my RSPs. First of all, I don't have much money, but they'll say, well, you cannot buy shares of a private company because it is not RSP eligible, but a pension I can. So the Ontario teachers pension plan buys a whole bunch of companies. They buy shares into Brookfield. They buy shares into Enbridge. They buy shares into Hydro-Québec. You know, they buy shares into Lavalin, uh, Quebec Corps, whatever, you know, Videotron. You know, they, they buy shares into company because they can, uh, because, because it, the pension law allows them to. Now, I'm not saying that that's what the Ontario Teachers Plan bought. I'm just saying they, they can. And in fact, the Ontario Teachers Pension Plan is the biggest pension plan in Canada, the most successful. And what do they own? They own real estate. They own private companies around the world. They own, they own hospitals in the US and they own hospitals in Europe. Like I can't do that with an RSP, right? The other things that, um, that the pension can do is I've just mentioned that you can go cross border. I can go to the US and buy stuff. I can go to Asia and buy stuff. I can go to Europe and buy stuff. I can't do that with an RSP. I can only buy stocks, bonds, ETFs, and some things that are Canadian, <laughs> right? Uh, and, and that's about it. And the last one is as much as I love to talk about whole life, and please stop me if you have heard too much, Dimitri, you cannot buy whole life insurance with RSPs, but you can with a, with a pension. So the point is with a pension, you can buy so much more assets so you can diversify so much more than you could with an RSP. So now that I've said all these wonderful things about the pension, and there are more, by the way, which we'll, which we'll dive into, there are more. So why can physicians do a pension? And I just, want to, I just want to specify, physicians who are incorporated can do pensions. Here's the reason. 
for 120 something years, physicians were never able to get a pension because the OMA, or not the OMA, but the Ontario Ministry, the Quebec Ministry, the BC Ministry, whatever ministry it is, will not give us a pension because we are not employees of the state. All of us are contractors to the state. So we have a contractor uh, relationship. We don't have an employee relationship. And pensions only exist if we have a employee relationship. So we've never had it. So we were never able to do a pension. Since the time we were able to incorporate, and I believe in Ontario, we were able to incorporate in 1999. And in Quebec, when were you guys able to incorporate? You know, I don't know. I don't know by heart, but it's, I think, a bit later than, than, a, than Ontario. A little bit later, yeah. because I remember I left Quebec by that time. Um, and so when we were allowed to incorporate, all of a sudden, we have an employer-employee relationship. My corporation, Dr. Vuketran MPC, or your corporation, Dr. Dimitri Ranev MPC, you are not only the shareholder, you are also employee if you take a t4 so as long as you take a t4 you have employee status so who is the sponsor of the pension your corporation who who is the employee dimitri but dimitri is also shareholder so dimitri has a dual citizenship inside that corporation that's what makes it work so first you need to be incorporated. And two, you need to take a T4 because it's not enough to be incorporated. You need to have an employee status. Now, I'm going to say this, and a lot of people out there in the airways will kill me, and a lot of accountants will kill me and want to want my head on a stick. A lot of us have been told by our accountants to take dividend and take dividends only because we want to save on 6,300 of the CPPP that we don't have to pay, right? The CPP that we don't have to pay. So you're going to save 6,300 every year. Do not pay a T4, take everything in dividend. It's great. You save 6,300 a year, but you just shot yourself in the foot because you can never do a pension ever unless you start taking a T4. So what is this? You're seeing the tree, but you're forgetting the forest. You save a lot more than six thousand a year if you go with a pension. Uh, so, so that that's a very good point because uh, I, I, the whole dividend only thing is is true. I know people who are adamant about it, but it, it you cannot. In fact, you can't even get an RSP if you do dividend only. You, you exactly do that. Yeah. So you're you're actually cut out of that as well. And I, I just want to go back to to, to a point that you made about diversification, which in the media, diversification means stocks or bonds, right? That's what it's, it is. But true diversification is what you talked about, real estate, IPOs, highways, and, and insurance. So you're opening yourself to real diversification as opposed to the you know stocks and bonds, which by the way, right now are not very diversified. Everything's, everything's going down <laughs> at the same time, right? So that's, that's a very good point, and I'm glad you mentioned it, about what diversification really means. So we talked about pension, and we've talked about the idea of a defined benefit pension. 
Now, there's a couple of options that you mentioned, I believe. You, you talked about an IPP, a PPP, um, MEPP as well. Do you mind just going through that, through those, what the differences are, and, and maybe we can have a bit of discussion with? Absolutely. So I threw out a lot of words out there, okay? So let's just talk about pensions in general. Okay, so in general, when we talk about pensions offered to professionals like us, what are we talking about? Currently in the market, currently in the market in 2022, we are talking about three different solutions. The first solution is an IPP. This is the most um, talked about, the most well-known. And believe it or not, when I say well-known, I mean, 1% of all Canadian physicians, yes. 1%. Yeah. Now, I, I, I don't want to drive on this point a little bit, uh, Dimitri. 100% of us have accountants. 100% of us have accountants. Less than 1% of us have ever been suggested to have an IPP. 99% of us are clueless about what an IPP is. So here's what an IPP IPP is individual pension plan, which is one individual. So if, if Dr. Vuketran MPC is the employer, Vuketran is the employee, therefore it's one individual. Okay. But the name is kind of a misnomer because I could actually put multiple IPPs inside my uh, MPC. Okay. So if I have my wife, my wife can also have an IPP. Okay, but her IPP is hers and my IPP is mine. But both IPPs are sponsored by my MPC. Okay, as long as my wife has a T4 from my MPC. Okay, so individual pension plan. So individual pension plan, the reason why it's so well known, because it's actually a name inside the Income Tax Act as individual pension plan. So what is that? That is a pension plan for one individual inside a corporation, i.e. Vuketran, i.e. Dimitri. Um, the benefits of the IPP is the same benefit that you would have inside a MEPP, for example, the teacher's pension plan, right? Because it sits inside section 147.1 of the Income Tax Act. So whatever the Ontario Teachers Pension Plan, OMERS, HOOP, whatever they benefit from, the IPP will benefit from. But the IPP has certain terms and conditions surrounding it, which are very different and actually better <laughs> than the Ontario Teachers Pension Plan and OMERS and HOOP from my perspective. And I can talk about it a little bit later why I think it's better. Okay, so that's one type of pension Okay, the other one is called the PPP, which is the personal pension plan. Now, the PPP, personal pension plan, is a fabrication from a company called Integris. And Integris is owned by a gentleman called JP Laporte. And I've had JP Laporte on my podcast numerous times. Extremely, extremely smart lawyer. Now, very rarely do I say that, but extremely smart lawyers. Right. And he's and his only raison d'etre as a lawyer is pensions. Right. That's all he does. So he knows the income tax act and the le and the legal aspect behind the pension from A to Z and Z to A and can just spew things out uh, as if as if you know he knows it like the back of his hand. Very smart guy. 
So what he did is he looked at the Income Tax Act, one section 147.1. He looked at the IPP and say, this is great, but something's missing. So he added a few more components to it, which he now built as the personal pension plan, PPP. So what is in fact a PPP? It's a IPP on steroids. So if you think of RRSP and you think of pensions as a RSP on steroids, while you now have this whole category of pensions and inside this category, there's a IPP, which is already amazing. And now you add steroid to that, right? So that's what a PPP is. So now in the market since 2021 December, so it's only been seven months, what I have done is I've created a, a third solution, which encompass even better than the PPP. Imagine that, can, I can even make things better. Because what I did is I took all the downsides of an MEPP, all the downsides of an IPP, and I took the things that physicians would want. What does Dimitri want? What does Vu want? What does Dr. Smith want? I took all that and I used the PPP as the building block because it's an IPP on steroids. And I build a few more things on top of it. So the current market has these three solutions, okay? IPP, PPP, and CPPP. All of us, if we have had accounts with MD management in the past, they kept all our emails, by the way, even though I'm no longer an MD management customer. They have all our emails. And they blasted emails not too long ago, Dimitri, you must have received it, of a pension plan called Medicus. Have you received that? Yes, I have. So what is Medicus? Medicus will be launched sometime next year. We don't know exactly when and we don't know how. We don't know all the details of it. but. Medicus, they have said already that it is a MEPP, which is a multi-employer pension plan. So what is that? So uh, your MPC is, a, is an employer. My MPC is an employer. Dr. Smith's MPC is an employer. So when we put all these employers together and form one pension plan, it becomes an MEPP very similar to the teacher's pension plan. So imagine the teacher's pension plan, you have, you know, the Toronto teachers, the Richmond Hill teacher, the London Hamilton teacher, or in the, in the case of Quebec, you have Montreal teachers, you have Quebec teachers, all these have their employers, but they all pull their money into one plan. So it's a one plan of all these employers. The downside of the MEPP is that it's a one plan of all these employers. So remember earlier when I said uh, that the deemed disposition with the RSP, when I die, my money rolls over to my spouse. And when my spouse dies, it, there's deemed disposition and money doesn't go to my children and get taxed. Well, inside an MEPP is something very similar. So Vuket Trans MPC has a certain amount of pension. Mm -hmm. When Vuket dies, sorry, the money does get rolled over to the spouse because it's the same generation. I apologize. The money does get rolled over to the spouse, but that's it. When my spouse dies, the money goes back to the pool. So if the pool has a thousand doctors, as an example, when I die, the money, so surplus money inside the pension rolls over to my spouse. 
when my spouse dies, the surplus money goes into the pool to the other 999 doctors, not to your children. Wow. So that's the difference with the MEPP, which is not the case with an IPP and not the case with a PPP. So when you look at it that way, you know what? I, 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 like, I like you, Dimitri. I like Dr. Smith too. And I like, and I like Dr. Khan too. I like all the doctors that I work with. But when I die, I want my, my money to go to my kids. I think that's just fair. And so inside an MEPP, you cannot do that. You can do that with an IPP, and you can do that with a PPP, and you can do that with a CPPP, but not with the MEPP. When my spouse dies, the money goes back to the pool. But when I die, I want my, my money to go to my kids. I think that's just fair. And so inside an MEPP, you cannot do that. You can do that with an IPP, and you can do that with a PPP, and you can do that with a CPPP, but not with the MEPP. So the Medicus, as beautiful and as amazing that it is, there are there is one major drawback that is not for us as physicians. Can you clarify how this um, wealth transfer works in an IPP and a PPP? Like what happens? So what happens once you die and your spouse dies? How does that money go to your children? Very good question. So I'll simplify it a little bit, okay? Sure. So remember my corporation, Dr. Vuketran MPC, is the sponsor of this pension plan. This pension plan actually sits inside a trust. It actually doesn't sit inside my MPC. It's a separate trust. So the, the, the entity that operates that trust is my MPC. When I die... And my, and my spouse is also uh, eligible because she's my spouse. It's the same generation. The surplus money. Remember the $4 million that I had an example? So I'll use that example. I'll use the same $4 million. So that's where we're talking apples to apples. So let's just say I have $4 million in my pension plan and I've used only $1 million. Okay. So the $1 million is used up. There's $3 million in the in the pension plan. But remember me and my wife, we're drowning down. We're driving down to Florida. We get hit by a truck. Both of us are gone. There's 3 million left in that pension, in that trust. Well, that trust all of a sudden has what we call a pension surplus. If my children works inside my MPC, so my son is now 18, 20, 24, whatever it is at the time of my death. If my children are also employees of my MPC, they are, and they take a T4, they are eligible to a pension. The pension surplus, the entire 3 million is transferred over as a pension surplus. And when it's transferred over as a pension surplus, there is no deemed disposition because fair enough, Vuketran died, but Vuketran MPC is not dead. Vuketran MPC is still an ongoing entity, an ongoing concern. And because the corporation is an ongoing concern, the money gets transferred from one pension to the next pension as a pension surplus, 100% tax-free. It goes back to what a great gift the corporation is. Not only does it give you pension, but it makes you immortal as well. <laughs> you, you live on. Yeah. And people, people forget that the MPC is just a name that the college gave us, right? But right. But the, but the structure of the MPC is 123 Ontario Inc. 
or one, two, three Quebec Inc. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. And so at time of my death, my MPC deregistered from the college and it's no longer Vuketran MPC. It's just one, two, three Ontario Inc. And my son could be an accountant. My son could be a lawyer. My son could be working in construction, whatever it is. My son can use one, two, three Ontario Inc. to continue his profession. And whatever money sitting inside the pension follows the pension and the corporation. That's how pensions inside an IPP and inside a PPP gets transferred from generation to generation to generation to generation to generation. You cannot do that with an MEPP. You cannot do that with an MEPP. Because it, it, it goes into the pool. It goes into the pool. It doesn't go to is. your, it, yeah, where, so assuming we have a thousand doctors, well, at time of my death, the money goes to the 999 doctors. It doesn't go to my children because the structure is not set up that way. So, so really an IPP, a PPP, it's, it's an asset. It's an asset for your family. Uh, as opposed Absolutely. To, yeah. It's right. the conduit. It's the, the conduit, conduit and the vehicle that allows that intergenerational wealth transfer. So, uh, so many questions, uh, but limited amount of time. I, I think I think we were able to talk about just the basics of pensions, why they're a good option for a lot of doctors, what some advantages are compared to RSPs. And I think I, I want to have you back and I want to have a deeper dive about the CPPP. I get a good idea no fees, how to set it up, what the advantages are, what you've added on top of the PPP yourself, just to get a get a better idea. Because again, it's it's insane that people don't talk about this. None of my colleagues know. I'm, like, I'm not surprised when you say one percent of people know about this stuff. Well, it's, like I said, well, first of all, it's crazy. Right. First of all, it's crazy that accountants are still telling doctors not to incorporate. That for me is crazy. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah, you 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 haven't even step you haven't even done step zero, that's the first thing. The second thing is crazy that accountants are telling doctors to take dividends only. That for me is crazy. It's crazy talk. And once once doctors incorporate it and do dividends, they sit there and they think that's it. I'm done. I'm secure. I'm safe. But that's only the start. It's the beginning. It's only the beginning. Yeah. It's uh, you know a calorie to you know preventing heart disease. You you don't you, you have aspirin, but you you can other stuff like statins and other things to to prevent heart disease. The the corporation is your first step in 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 being able to retire. There's so much more, such a big world that I'm always amazed at, and that's why I love talking to you. So, thank you, thank you for your time, Vu. Um, I'll love to have you back and talk a bit more about the CPPP, which is a very exciting product. If I personally think. Well, this is the first part of the session on the Canadian Physicians Pension Plan with Dmitry Ranev. And please follow us uh, for the second episode coming soon, where we discuss in more detail the structure and the benefits of the Canadian Physicians Pension Plan. See you guys next time. If you enjoyed this particular session, please share it with your friends and colleagues. And if you have any feedback or comments, please email me at hmfhd2020 at gmail.com. How is my financial health doc podcast is hosted by Dr. Vukit Tran. 
Dr. Tran is a physician with a special interest in personal financial security and wealth education. Dr. Tran does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through this financial podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. Please confer with your advisor, lawyer, or accountant for specific advice.